hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. Okay, what you just heard was a video from not only a hospital, but a children's hospital. This is Boston Children's Hospital, one of the many videos that they have produced on gender-affirming surgeries, gender-affirming hysterectomies. A lot of linguistic theft is happening on here, and I know I've talked about linguistic theft before, basically talking about just words to fill a box, to check a box, to confuse a reader to confuse a listener that's what they're doing and so I really want us to dive into this and I'm so glad and so honored that we had Grace to come on she is known as pro-life Barbie and you can find her on Instagram on TikTok any of those other platforms by searching pro-life Barbie she should pop up and we are so honored to have her on today we are going to be talking about gender-affirming surgeries that are happening across the U.S. and our thoughts on it, basically. We break down that video. We talk about the articles that have been written about it because, for the most part, the articles that have come out are more pertaining to the topic because they're talking about how 14, 15, 16-year-old girls are getting these hysterectomies. So you'll hear my thoughts. You'll hear Grace's thoughts. I'm so excited for you to hear this one. So here we go. I am here with Grace Rikacheski, and we have um, some really good content for you guys today. Um, we actually recorded this a week in advance, and so this is coming out the next week. Um, I guess that would be August 20th, around that time, yeah. Um, and so we are going to be talking about two things today. We're going to be talking about a post-Row America and what that looks like, kind of talking about the legal and legislation that has come out and really what that means for women in America. And then also we're going to be talking about Boston Children's Hospital and some of the videos they have made that are mind-blowing. We're going to be talking about that for trans minors and what kind of surgeries they are trying to give teenagers with or without parent consent, which is a huge thing. And it's kind of interesting because Abortion and these surgeries are going hand in hand where we're seeing parents have less and less of a say in what children are allowed to do. And so I think that's very interesting to pick up on. But without further ado, Grace, do you want to introduce yourself to us? Just let the li- listeners know who you are, kind of get um, have them get to know you. Yes, so my name is um, Grace Frickicheski. I am 
a Christian. I am conservative. I'm a pro-life activist. Um, I have been working with Students for Life mainly for the last, oh goodness, probably like three years now. Um, I was a student spokesperson for them. Um, I've gotten to have lots of incredible opportunities being in front of the Supreme Court when Roe v. Wade was reversed. Um, I was there for the Amy Coney Barrett hearings. This has just been kind of my passion that God has really put on my heart for the last five years or so. Um, so that's mainly what I do. Um, I'm engaged. I'm excited. I'm getting married in January and moving to Florida. So that, that is so <laughs> <That's> exciting. <laughs> and we are so excited for you and congratulations. That's such big Thank news you. and we're really excited for you. But I think what is really inspiring to young girls is to see people just like you on Instagram, especially when Roe v. Wade was reversed and you have videos and picture footage of just like the whole event. And not only did you capture the beauty of that moment, but also you had some videos that covered pro-choicers as well. So let's start with that. You, um, on Instagram, you had many videos encountering avidly pro-choice advocates. So what were some things they were saying to you and how did you respond back to them? Well, I think that the first thing that's really good to talk about is that there's a really big difference between people who are pro-choice and people who are Mm pro-abortion. You know, there were lots of people who I got to talk to who are pro-choice, but there aren't really like recordings of our conversations because those are actually conversations that we were having in good faith where we were having a reasonable discussion and going back and forth and trying to convince each other. The recordings that are mainly online are of people who are radically pro-abortion. They're not even trying to convince the other side. They're just, honestly, they're using names. They're saying that I'm anti-woman, that I'm being controlled by men, and that the only reason why I'm pro-life is because I'm just listening to what the men in my life say. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, I wasn't with my fiance when I became pro-life. So, you know, it didn't actually have a bearing on that. Um, you know, saying things like, oh, you're, you want your religion forced on other people, mm-hmm. which we can get into that whole thing. But I think that it's very fair and reasonable to say that, hey, as a society, maybe we shouldn't be killing our most innocent and vulnerable people. And you can make that argument from a non-religious perspective or a religious perspective. Um, But that was mainly what um, most of the videos were of. Um, There was this one guy who I encountered in particular who um, apparently I was told by some other pro-life people that he went out like every single day and he would just plop down. <laughs> he would sit down. He had this like cart and this umbrella with all these expletives on it. And he had the biggest megaphone that he would just like sit down on the ground. You couldn't even carry it. And he would just harass pro-lifers all day. And so I was like, this is probably not someone who are going to <laughs> be able to convince Um, but so I just started, I got the megaphone and I started going back and forth with him and just trying to have a conversation and he would 
call me different names and accuse me of different things. And we just go back and forth. And um, everyone who was there, pro-lifers, pro-choicers, and even some of the Capitol Police, they like started laughing at this guy because it was just so obvious that he had no idea what he was talking about. He was just there trying to make a scene and Mm -hmm. trying to get us to back down. I think that's a great like imagery of how angry some people are like they don't even have room for logic they're just so angry um i think a question i wanted to ask you is how do you take getting insults hurled at you i think a lot of girls who want to be in the pro-life movement and be an advocate want to do that but they see these videos of online where we're getting bashed and we're getting texts and dms i've gotten so many dms with the nastiest things said to me um but how how do you deal with that oh yeah i think that this is a really good question and it's something that a lot of people deal with um Quite honestly, I think that it has to do with where you're placing your worth and your identity. The best advice that I was ever given was someone was telling me, if you place your worth and your identity in the positive things that people are saying to you in the praise that you're getting from other people, then you're really going to take to heart when people aren't giving you praise anymore, when people are saying these nasty things about you my identity is in christ it's not in these people who i know or even people who i don't know who are just saying things about me online i don't take it to heart when they're positive things and i also don't take it to heart when they're negative things i think what's really difficult is if you take to heart all of the compliments that people are giving you online Mm -hmm. from people who you don't even know And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm all this. I have all these followers. I have all these people who love me. Then how can you not take it to heart when those same people turn on you and say nasty, negative things about you, or you get all those hate comments, you know? Mm -hmm. I think you have to either take all of it or none of it. Yeah, I think that's a really great perspective. And it's something to really take to heart because like you said, I'm a Christian as well. And it's so easy to lose our mindset when it comes to comments and discouraging thoughts. So I think that knowing where identity comes from and who to place it in is really important. Um, So to continue with the post-Roe conversation, you were there at the Supreme Court of the United States when Roe was overturned. So just tell us a little bit about your experience. Oh my goodness. It was amazing. We, um, so the night before we my fiance and i were actually driving up to new jersey back from georgia so it was like a 13 14 hour drive it was like an all-day thing and um we got home at like 2 a.m and right before i went to sleep i checked my phone and i had one of my friends who had some inside information who knew that Roe is going to be reversed the next day, mm-hmm. um, messaged me and said, you have to be at the Supreme Court tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, it's 2 a.m. You Are you sure? Because that's a two and a half hour drive for me again. I was doing it pretty much every other time that there was a decision day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot easier when you get the full night's sleep and then do the two and a half hour drive. I was like, 
okay, like I'll be there, but I'm going to be running on like three hours of sleep. So <laughs> you better be sure. And he was like, I'm sure you have to be there. And I was like, okay. And I was like, Browning, I'm so sorry to tell you this, <laughs> but we're going to have to get up in like three hours, take a little cat nap and then drive down. He's like, you know what? It's going to be worth it if it actually happens. And I was like, I know I'm not missing it. Mm-hmm. So we got up super early and drove down. We tried to sleep in as late as we could. So we were like, we got there like just in time. We were like booking it yes. right near the end. Cause the decisions, they first get dropped at 10 AM. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll release another decision every 10 minute and 10 minute increments. Right. So we were like, we have to be there by 10. Um, we were driving there. We like just got into DC and it was like 10 AM they released a case and it wasn't that one. And I was like, okay, we have 10 minutes. It might be the next one. Like, and he was like, okay, I'm just going to like drop you off in front of it. It was barricaded right in front. So he had to drop me off like two blocks away. And then I like booked it. I was like running to the Supreme court. I got there and, um, this woman interviewer, she like shoved a camera in my face and she was like, She's like, so how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? Well, like, I'm really hoping that Roe v. Wade is reversed today. And she's like, oh, okay. And so then I went into the middle and I pulled out my phone and I checked it and it said Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And I just like lost my mind. I was so excited. I was like screaming. I cried a little bit. I can't really cry when there are like cameras being shoved in my right. face. I cried later. <laughs> but we were like hugging all of our friends. It was so amazing. Um, we were praying and mm-hmm. thanking God that he had done this because so many people didn't even think that it would ever happen. Yeah. You know, and the fact that it happened in my lifetime while I was there was the most incredible feeling. Oh, but, and I feel like just hearing that and knowing from videos of like just the excitement, it made the day so much better. Like, I think everyone who had been praying for this for like years and decades, I know of uh, women who have come out and said, hey, I'm like 60 years old now, but I've been praying for this since I was like 50 or 40 or whatever. And it's just the awesomeness of God and his timing that it was not expected, first of all, and then second of all, that it did happen and God is so sovereign through those moments. But um, what was maybe the thing? So let's cover what Roe allowed before it was overturned. Yeah. So Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton were two decisions that the Supreme Court handed down. They were sister cases. And um, what they said was that in the first trimester, states are not allowed to restrict abortion at all. Mm -hmm. In the second trimester, they're allowed to restrict it, but they're not allowed to make it completely illegal. Um, And then in the third trimester, they're allowed to outlaw abortion. It just set up this completely random trimester system. It was not mm-hmm. a anything based on medicine. There was no medical reasoning for a trimester system. They just, a bunch of lawyers created it in order to say, oh, this is a small baby, this smaller baby, and this is mm-hmm. the smallest baby. <laughs> 
it was not really based on anything. Um, but it made it so that nearly half of the states in America that had abortion almost nearly outlawed or very heavily restricted, it made it so that all of their laws were invalid, which is completely ridiculous. It's an insane overreach of the power of the Supreme Court. None of the founders envisioned the Supreme Court having that level of power mm -hmm. that they could totally override the decisions of more than half of Americans. It was just ridiculous. And it has been a completely ridiculous ruling for the last 50 years on very, very weak legal ground. Um, I don't know where they possibly were able to find the right to abortion in the Constitution. I guess they must have like found that it was written in like invisible ink in between the lines. But I read the Constitution and I can assure you that it says nothing about abortion. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just ridiculous that they did it. But um, if you want to move into what reversing Roe v. Wade did, yeah. um, what reversing Roe v. Wade did was it said that our elected officials are allowed to make whatever laws they want restricting or outlawing abortion. So that could be Congress can make a law restricting abortion or allowing abortion. That could be our state legislation, which is where we're typically at now because we don't have federal legislation mainly. It's right. mostly the states doing this or our local municipalities. There are abortion-free cities that we have that have outlawed abortion um, within their um, jurisdiction. So it made it so that the people who we actually got a chance to vote for as citizens are able to make this legislation. We actually get to impact it, mm -hmm. not just a bunch of unelected lawyers on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And I think that just goes back to what the Constitution says, that it is up to the states to make those rights. And I think it's so um, shocking that it took so long for it to go back to the states. And so now that we're seeing that this legislation is up to different legislators throughout different states, what are we seeing now? We're seeing that um, companies now, which... I personally, from a moral standpoint, think they have no business um, doing this. But again, we live in a, in a society that people are getting away with everything. So I wanted to um, name some of these companies that are coming out and saying to women who are their employees, employees or now that we're talking about gender affirming, it could be a male who is or a female who's trying to be a male but still is having an abortion. I don't even know some of this logic. <laughs> but some of the companies are Amazon, Bank of America, which actually, Bank of America is one of the most woke and they try to be quote-unquote inclusive. They're one of the most high-rated companies for that. They Back in like 2018, they had LGBTQ um conferences where they would hold it for their employees. Pretty crazy. You can look this all up. Um, there's CVS, Disney, huge one, which is not a shocker, but those parents who still allow their children to watch these shows that are gender affirming and all these things. So Disney's one of them. Google, H&M, 
um, Dick's Sporting Goods, and then also J.P. Morgan Chase, which is another bank. Why is holding our money something that it doesn't go into our politics. Like, they're totally disconnected. So Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase, those are two banks that are paying for their employees to go to out-of-state um, clinics to get abortions. Um, but with that said, do you want to talk about how, again, just maybe affirm what we are talking about of how Roe v. Wade didn't make abortion illegal. Yeah, so I think that that is probably the biggest misconception that people have. I've talked to so many people and people have messaged me saying, oh, does this mean that abortion is now made illegal? Absolutely not. I really wish that I did. Um, It was a huge step in the right direction, right? Because up until this point, we would try to make legislation on a state level and some of it would go through some of the weaker bills, but uh, most of it wasn't able to go through. None of the very strong pro-life legislation that we actually want to see was able to go through. So it's an amazing thing because it lets all these states that already wanted to outlaw abortion, they're allowed to do that now. Mm-hmm. However, Um, It does not make abortion illegal. So that means that plenty of states, New York, uh, my home state of New Jersey, California, um, lots of these states, they have the exact same abortion legislation. If anything, they're strengthening it. Mm -hmm. Um, New Jersey recently put it into our constitution that women have a right to abortion. So it's being codified in all of these very far left states, very pro-abortion states. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of what we're seeing now, like what you were saying, is that um, women who are in different states like Texas, where abortion is nearly illegal, if they work for a company that uh, a lot of these companies will pay for them to travel to a different state so that they can still get that abortion which is ridiculous on a few different levels because a lot of these um, corporations, they don't have really good maternal leave, Mm -hmm. but they're willing to pay for their women to get abortions because it's way cheaper for them. So I think a lot of it isn't even that they're super pro-abortion. I think it's just that they're super pro-money and they're pro their bottom line and they don't want to lose their employees by having them ask for very expensive maternal leave packages. Um, But yeah, so that's what we're seeing. And um, I actually have had the wonderful opportunity recently to talk to um, some different women who are considering abortion. I got to speak with um, one in particular recently, um, and she is from a state that is very pro-abortion, where you can get an abortion all the way through nine months. Mm. And um, some friends and I, we were just trying to encourage her uh, to either parent this child or to choose adoption. And we were giving her all these different resources and sending her to the adoption agency. And one minute she'd be like, yeah, can you send me more information? I want to learn more about adoption. And then she would text us an hour later and be like, I'm going to get the abortion. Like, it's so difficult because 
I, you know, we would really hope that when Roe v. Wade was reversed, abortion would be illegal and that it's like, yeah, we just get to help these women who are in need and help them with adoption and help them with parenting their babies. But abortion is still a decision. Mm -hmm. It's still an option for a lot of women, unfortunately. So yeah, the, the state of abortion in America is much better than it used to be, but it's definitely not close to the end we have a lot of work to do we do and i think just like hearing that whole like back and forth conversation with that mom just really gives you insight of how difficult it is to be either a young mom who wasn't ready to have a baby or either there's so many different circumstances of why women want to choose an abortion but i think that in your case, like being able to talk to them and give them resources is some of the most proactive work we can do as pro-lifers. So I think that's so important to have those conversations, give them the resources they need. Again, I go back to your um, account at the Supreme Court where you said that um, you were talking to pro-choicers versus major pro-abortion advocates. And so I think a huge line to draw there when it comes to having conversations is with pro-choicers, you can really talk to them and be like, well, they only gave us the like title of pro-life because we're saving lives, but actually we are pro-choice. We are pro-adoption, um, foster care, taking in a baby. I know so many families who have come under a mom and really um, they've taken care of the kid until she feels ready. Or again, I'm such a big advocate for men. If you have made the decision to um, have um, a relationship with someone, then you should be mature enough to stay there and support your wife or hopefully future wife when she has this baby. It's such a big thing that men um, are falling into temptation, but then they aren't staying there for the after effects. So there's no like residual consequences for their actions. I think that's something that we need to teach our men that there are things that happen after. Um, And so is there anything else you want to point out on the post-row aspect? Yeah, I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about men taking responsibility because I think that one of the reasons why we are at the place that we are in in our society where men just leave Mm -hmm. when their girlfriend or their wife gets pregnant is very largely due to the pro-abortion movement. Because when they say, oh, I'm pro-choice, my body, my choice. It's not the choice of the father. Mm-hmm. They're saying, oh, it's entirely my choice whether I want to have this baby or abort this baby or place this baby with an adoptive family. It totally pushes the father out of the picture. And so honestly, how can we blame them mm-hmm. when they don't take responsibility for their actions? Because right. can't they just as easily say, oh, well, you chose to have this baby. I wanted you to get an abortion. You chose to have this baby. I shouldn't have to help with that. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, like the pro-abortion movement is responsible for fathers not taking responsibility mm-hmm. for their actions. Because I think they really think deep down that 
it's our responsibility as women to just get an abortion when they get us pregnant. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a really good point. Um, and then also, I, I know you've probably seen these videos of pro-life men, which are few and far between, but hopefully that will continue to like rise up. Um, but I think that I've seen so many videos of men. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm pro-life. They're at the Supreme Court or whatever with their, like, signs. And then you have a pro-abortionist screaming at them, well, you have no rights on my body or whatever the argument is. But I think that's so degenerating to men that they have no voice in the lives of the next generation. That's so, like... um giving them no right over the body, even though it takes two people to make a baby. <laughs> like, it doesn't just take the woman. So both of them should be included in the conversation. And it's devastating, mm-hmm. not only for the father who might not get to know their child, but for this child who now has to grow up without a father figure. Mm-hmm. It's seriously is devastating for a child to not grow up with the mother and a father, and preferably their biological parents, or at the very least to know them. It's so important, and we know that children do far worse in life when they don't have their fathers. So it is so selfish when women say, oh, it's my body, it's my child, I get to decide what happens with it, you don't get to play a role in this child's life because Mm -hmm. I'm taking care of it. It's like, well, how about you let the father take care of your child too? Like, do you want to have to do it alone? Mm -hmm. I don't think that you do. Yeah, and I think that single moms and single dads, like, they have a huge responsibility in front of them, and they, um, so many do it so well. And then the same thing with just, Mm -hmm. like, a couple. Like, I saw a video the other day where it's like, how do single parents do this? I, I'm still struggling with my wife beside me, you know? And so it's just yeah. such a huge job to be a parent. But then, um, again, like, I think live action does a great job of this, showing, like, how beautiful parenthood is. And even though it is a responsibility, it's something that can bring so much joy and so much confidence. Um, and, Again, I go back to like the Olympic argument where so many Olympic athletes this past year came out who were pregnant, like a runner. I know a runner was pregnant during that time and she was still running and she was like, I'm here for my baby. I'm here (laughs) to support her and to show her I can do anything that anybody else can do. And so it's so important to show that moms who are pregnant or who are going to have a baby have value and they still can live their lives how they want to and um really just impress that on their children like hey you can travel with your kids or you can um still work with your kids especially if you have that opportunity to have a spouse um to help you out with that you don't have to lose your job um so those are huge things because our society has become so toxic in that way by saying that as soon as you have a kid your life is over, which is absolutely not the case. It's like, so dramatic. If you have a baby, you can strap that baby to you. You can go travel. You can, like, <laughs> take classes. And not only do you have to do it alone, but there's a huge pro-life network that is here to help you. Mm-hmm. Even if the father isn't in this child's life, there are people who are going to help you through it. And you really are capable to do that. And your life doesn't end. It just changes. It shifts. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I actually, um, 
I was at the orthodontist this morning and I was actually um, talking to this woman who was telling me about how she got pregnant when she was 18 and she was saying, looking back on it, I wouldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. I was so glad. She was like, I wonder where I would have been if I hadn't gotten pregnant. She said, I probably would have been out partying with my friends, getting drunk every night. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I'm sure that in the middle of that, it probably felt like the end of the world that you couldn't see your friends anymore. But looking back on it, like how hollow does that seem? Like how pointless of a life going out, getting drunk every night when you have this human being Mm -hmm. who you love so much, who is now alive, who now has brought you grandkids. Like it just doesn't even compare when we look back, you know? So even if your life does change, it's going to be for the better. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that um, story. I'm going... The second half of this episode, I really wanted to um, dive into what Boston Children's Hospital has been doing. And just to kind of give some information, they haven't just been starting to do this. This has been happening back since like 2016. This is what the article says. And I have two articles here and I know that Grace is very um, aware of the video sequence they put out, which was insane. They're putting it out. They have a doctor who's like saying, yes, we're actually doing this, admitting to what they're doing. Um, And we just want to talk about it. So Grace, you want to talk about the video sequence really quickly? Yeah. So the video was talking about um, how they do hysterectomies on girls, which is absolutely ridiculous because they're removing a fully functional part of the human body um this will have long-term consequences Mm -hmm. i'm sure i'm sure you don't even know quite how bad it's going to be but we do know that these girls are going to go through menopause they're never going to be able to have children Mm -hmm. and like when i look back at the way that i was the things that i thought when i was 17 and when i was 16 Like, I don't think that I was really qualified to be making these lifelong decisions Mm -hmm. for myself. Yeah. And parents, even if they are or are not in the decision process, these are minors. These are like 16, 17-year-old people who are wanting these things. And not only does it stop at hysterectomies for young girls it goes on to sterilization and chemical castration which are huge things these are um procedures and medical like medicine that is going to forever affect either male or female um which is something to say during this episode because a lot of people are like, oh, there's not male and female. There's male, female, and 367 other genders. <laughs> so it's just really crazy to think that we have gotten this low in our society that we have to affirm everyone. That's really what we wanted to talk about today was it's called gender affirming surgeries. Um, so it's really like affirming what these kids want to be. And the thing about it is, did you watch What is a Woman, Grace? Yes. Okay, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, how Matt Walsh went through that? Um, Because I think that's a really important um, 
documentary to talk about when we talk about this. Yeah, I think that anyone who is interested in this topic at all, and we should be as conservatives and as Christians, should definitely watch that documentary. But it was amazing. I don't know what you thought, how he got all those interviews mm-hmm. with not only people who are conservative, which is what you would expect, but all these people who are performing these surgeries, who are counselors, quote unquote, gender affirming counselors. Um, One of the points that he made was that it is ridiculous to even call yourself a gender affirming counselor for a child, because when this child comes to you, even if, even if we believe in transgenderism and give them that, shouldn't these counselors be trying to talk to these kids to see, are they actually transgender or is this a phase? Because we know that it's very often a phase because Mm -hmm. most children will grow out of it in a few years. So even if we believe in this, shouldn't they be trying to figure out if they are or they aren't? But this person is already saying right off the bat, I'm gender affirming. Whatever gender you think you are, I'm just going to tell you you're right. That's not what counselors are meant to do, especially not when the results of them telling these kids, oh yeah, you're transgender, is going to be chemical castration, when it's going to be taking these hormones that very likely are going to cause them to get cancer in the future. Right. Like These are not decisions that should be made um, by kids at all. And they shouldn't be taken lightly. And so many people take it lightly. I think that, like, you were talking about how um, those videos from Boston Children's Hospital, they came out and everyone's talking about them now, but they've actually been doing this procedure on minors, on teenagers, Mm -hmm. since 2016. And honestly, I think one of the good things that we are seeing is I think we're seeing the tide turning because I remember only a few years ago, even people who are very conservative were not willing to talk about the transgender issue. And I understand it. I went back and forth for a long time because I think it's personal to a lot of people because I have lots of friends and family who consider themselves to be transgender and I don't want to hurt their feelings but I'm also not going to lie. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot easier for political pundits on Twitter who don't even know anyone mm-hmm. who is transgender to say, oh, it's totally made up. And I agree with them, don't get me wrong, but it's it's a difficult conversation, but I'm really glad that we're actually having it now. Me too. And I think that really to go back to, we were talking about gender-affirming counseling. I think that's where it starts. When parents decide that their kids can go to a counselor who is going to tell them and affirm things that they're probably hearing in their schools from gender-affirming teachers, which that is a thing, um, you get a certificate and a sticker on the front of your door if you go through um, gender and LGBTQ training. And it's a safe space. That's what they call it, a safe classroom. Um, and so I think it's so... Oh, is that what that means? Yes. I've seen that sticker. Is yep. that the, the triangle one? Yes. 
With the rainbow? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I've seen that so many times. <laughs> yep, I didn't know that. That's what that means. Yep. So the teachers have to go through a whole, like, I think some either do videos or some do, like, someone comes in and they actually train them. I don't even know what that means. Like, telling them they're okay to be cake today. I remember <laughs> that, like, five-year-old on TikTok was like, oh, I'm cake today. And the parents were like, okay hi cake um <laughs> you're cake gender now so i think it's so fascinating but again like you said it's so confusing because back maybe a year ago it was coming out that transgenderism was a part of a mental health disability um but now they kind of veered away from that because it gave it a negative uh, connotation and now it's something that needs to be affirmed like we keep saying and it needs to go a little bit further into surgery, which anybody who has had surgery, who um, knows anything about surgery, that is something that is pretty to 100% permanent, especially something like a hysterectomy, especially on girls. And I think it's so important that Grace pointed out that these like young girls, like 16, 17 year olds, are going to go through menopause what is that going to do for the rest of their lives? Like, they're not going to be able to bear children. They're not going to be able to... And that's another thing. You know how, like, <clears throat> sometimes when your girlfriend and boyfriend and you decide to have sex before marriage, that's something that you're going to have to tell your spouse one day. Well, in the same way, these girls who are having hysterectomies, they're going to have to tell their husbands, like, hey, because when I was younger, I wanted to be this gender, I can't have a baby. That is going to be, I can't even imagine what kind of conversation is going to go on. What about you, Grace? What are your opinions on that? I mean, like, I just wanted to go back to what you're saying before about how they're trying to say now that, oh, it's not even a mental condition. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. Well, I mean, if you look at the suicide rate within the transgender community, if you think that you are going to kill yourself unless you remove your uterus, which is working the way that God intended it to work, then yes, there is something wrong. Even if you say it's going to be fixed by the surgery, which I don't believe it will be, but clearly there is something wrong if you feel like your body doesn't fit. And I didn't understand because when I was younger, when I was like 13, 14, around that age where like we're all just like kind of weird and quirky I was like such a tomboy I was like I'm wearing camo every single day and you know I loved sports I loved working out and I hung out around boys I didn't really get along with girls and I had thoughts where I was like maybe I was supposed to be born a boy and I grew out of it Mm -hmm. and I am super glad that I didn't grow up in 2022 where like they would have chopped my breasts off and told me to get a hysterectomy you know like that's probably what they would have done if you had confided in a teacher Mm -hmm. now it could have taken me away from my parents if they weren't supportive it's just insane how far society has gone in just a few years Mm -hmm. and the other thing I wanted to say about um, teachers in schools encouraging this Mm -hmm. is that I am an education major and nothing has made me more confident that I'm going to homeschool my kids than being an education major because seeing the garbage that they're teaching us and that they're trying to encourage us to teach kids 
has really shown me that I don't want my kids anywhere near these people. Like they give us worksheets called the gender unicorn to help teach preschoolers and kindergartners about the difference between sex and gender and uh, like gender transition and the way that you present your identity. Like these are, it's insane that they're teaching kids this, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we need to be really careful about who are the people who are letting spend so much time with our kids. Mm-hmm. Because if you put your kids in public school, like I hate to admit it, but they're spending hundreds of hours with your kids without you being there and you have no idea what they're talking about. And if they come out of anything but Liberty University or Hillsdale, they're probably putting garbage into your child's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am not a <clears throat> I am not a education major, but because I have so many friends who are education majors, that makes me want to uh, homeschool my future kids because it is insane. I actually have a friend who's local, and we meet up for coffee sometimes. She I asked her to bring some of the books that she was doing that semester, and she did. <laughs> it is um it is quite interesting they use a lot of linguistic theft i always use that word because when it comes to the transgender ideology and the um lgbtq community they use all these words that you would probably have not found back in 2018 they have made a lot of different definitions for a lot of different words that don't really mean a lot because it doesn't have anything scientifically based proving it. Um, so when a, a either gender affirming counselor or a gender affirming doctor comes up to your kid or you take them to that place, which I don't know why <laughs> that would happen, <laughs> but um, when that happens, they're going to use words that have no scientific evidence behind it, which just blows my mind because I'm taking anatomy right now. And when you get down to the basis of your human body, it's quite simple. It's quite simple. And you, I don't even know how, like, we're talking about public school now. I don't know how they're going to teach scientifically how there's so many genders. Because when you look at a biology or an anatomy book, it shows a male and it shows a female. And that's all you have. We have no pictures we have no science dating back to however long like i mean even to jesus time where it shows anything but a male and female and it's like i don't know where they're getting this from um and so a lot of it is based off of attraction and um a lot of that is where they're coming up with their words and their terms and all that stuff but um I think that's really interesting. I want to read this really quickly from this article. It says, just this week, which was this past week when this article came out, um, Boston Children's Hospital scrubbed a video titled, What Happens During a Gender-Affirming Hysterectomy? And then after facing backlash for promoting the surgery for minors um, who can't get consent and do not have the mental capacity, which I don't know if you saw um, just today, there was an article that came out where a teenager wasn't allowed to have an abortion because she wasn't, um, quote unquote, she didn't like test to be mature enough, which is really interesting. Like they're now allowing people to or to not have an abortion or a surgery that's going to forever change their lives based off their maturity. Like when did that come 
up. Like, I mean, if we think about it logically, like, yes, it should be based off maturity, but why are they even, like, why is that even coming into the conversation? And I guess my only guess to it is that there's no parents involved in these decisions, that these kids are just going at it by themselves. Um, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I, I It's kind of crazy, like, in regards to abortion specifically, because the maturity of the person who is getting the abortion has literally nothing to do with the morality mm-hmm. of abortion. Like, I don't think that abortion suddenly becomes okay if you have a 17-year-old who isn't mature versus someone who's like, I don't know, 35 and are mm-hmm. getting an abortion. They have a house and a stable job, you know? Yeah. Like, you're still killing a baby. It, yeah. it makes zero difference. Right. Yeah, there's like zero logic behind it. And that's what scares me, really, is when I actually learned... Um, I think that's something that they cover up two things really well, Planned Parenthood. They cover up that you can ask your nurse at your public school for an abortion and they can help you without parent consent. And two, that Planned Parenthood um, covers up for human trafficking. Those are two things that I really like to talk about when a pro-choicer or avid pro-abortionist comes to me is... Did you know those two things? And usually that will start turning some gears in their head because no one wants to be an advocate um, for human trafficking. Like, um, no one wants to say, oh, human trafficking's okay. Like, you hopefully will never hear hear that out of the mouth of someone. Um, And then again, the idea of, like, a as young as probably 15, 14, I don't know, um, girl going to their school nurse and saying, hey, well, this happened and I need an abortion um, and not having any parental consent or I like their parents have no idea the kid has gone to this nurse. Yeah. That's insane to me. Um, so, it's horrifying. It is. I tell people that all the time who are parents and they are absolutely shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Even people who are very far right, who are very conservative, who like they just... They really don't know mm-hmm. that if you have your 14-year-old girl in public school and she gets pregnant, all she has to do is go to the school nurse and say, hey, I'm afraid to tell my parents that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of what they're going to say, which might not even be an abusive situation. It might just be that like you might be a little disappointed right. that she got pregnant. And then they can take her to get an abortion during normal school hours and she'll just come back to school. She'll go home as if it was a normal school day mm-hmm. and they never have to tell you. Yeah. And in some states, it's a little bit more difficult because they have to go before a judge and they have to um, request that she can get the abortion without telling her parents. But in states like New Jersey, we don't even have parental notification, mm-hmm. let alone parental consent. You don't even need to tell your parents if you are a minor and get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And also, the other question is, how did you get pregnant if you're 14? Right. Like, seriously, all these people are coming out who are pro-abortion talking about how, you, would you expect a 14-year-old to give birth well, first of all, I would expect her not to kill her child. But second of all, who got a 14-year-old pregnant? Mm-hmm. Can we actually like have that conversation about rape and sexual abuse mm-hmm. in our country instead yeah. of making it this 
political talking point, it's really disgusting how they use this trauma that these girls have, like that 10-year-old girl who everyone was talking about who had to cross state lines. She was in an abusive situation and nobody who on the pro-abortion side would even mention it. Mm -hmm. They were all just talking about how she couldn't get an abortion. And abortion is not going to fix the fact that she was being regularly sexually assaulted by most likely her mother's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and that happens way too often in too many stories, which makes my heart like really hurt and go out to those women because it, it kind of goes back to, again, our conversation about no dad in the household and mom um, decides she wants to date someone. Well, there's this person who may or may not have the same morals as mom does. And that's where they get into this weird like um, situation. And then the daughter probably doesn't even feel like she has a voice in anything. So that probably encourages her to go to a school nurse and be like, well, if you're actually willing to listen to me, then I want to go that route because no one is listening to me. Um, and so it's just, it's so heartbreaking to hear these stories. But I think that we really have covered the gender affirming and just being careful of, especially if your kid, like I don't think counseling is a bad thing um, or seeking out mental help. But at the same time, just really, if you're a parent, really look into who your children are going to, what their values are, um, because some Christian parents can slip into that. I know there was a YouTube video of a mom who proclaims to be Christian, the whole family's Christian, but her son at a young age wanted to become a girl, and they just went with it. And her argument for it was, well, Jesus would still love him. That, uh, this way or that way and it's true Jesus loves everyone and who he created but I don't think like because of his biology intent to have male and female he didn't intend us to do that and it comes from our account to free will we have free will to choose whatever we want and it kind of just boils back down to um, yes we're allowed to make choices but we're we shouldn't do it because we know we're at the mercy of God you know and so God is always going to be gracious to give mercy and to be there for us. But again, it just, um, we shouldn't be making those choices over and over again because we know it's there. Um, but do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, the New Testament is very clear when it says that, yes, God will forgive us mm -hmm. when we sin. But is that an excuse for us to do evil and sinful things regularly so that we can fall upon the grace of God? Absolutely not. I sin way too often, way more often than I wish I did. And I don't think that we need to add anything on top of that. We yeah. should be seeking holiness. We should be trying to grow closer to God and not sinning consistently just to ask God for forgiveness, because that's not honest, and that's not genuine. Absolutely, and I think that's a really great way to wrap up our discussion today, um, that we can have grace with God, and I think it's so beautiful when we seek out um, who he is and really what the relationship he offers for us. So um, to close out, Grace, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you, where they can keep up with you? Sure. Um, anywhere at Pro-Life Barbie. 
TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, (laughs) wherever. Yes. And you can go and watch some of those um, interactions she had at the courthouse, um, which were really fun to watch, um, as well as any other content you post about um, the Second Amendment, which (laughs) I love that, (laughs) love that content, Um, and pro-life, you're a Christian, just kind of everything. I also love that you're an advocate for homesteading because um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, it was such an honor to have you on. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk with us. And hopefully we can have you again on in the future if you would like to do that. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.